Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 10. I was patient while I waited for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry for help. I was sliding down into the pit of death, and he pulled me out. He brought me up out of the mud and dirt. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand on. He gave me a new song to sing. It is a hymn of praise to our God. Many people will see what he has done and will worship him. They will put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He doesn't look to proud people for help. He doesn't turn away to worship statues of gods. Lord, my God, no one can compare to you. You have done many miracles, and you plan to do many more for us. There are too many of them for me to talk about. You didn't want sacrifices and offerings. You weren't pleased with burnt offerings and sin offerings. You gave me ears to hear you and obey you. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. My God, I have come to do what you want. Your law is in my heart. I have told the whole community of those who worship you that what you do is right. Lord, you know that I haven't kept quiet. I haven't kept to myself that what you did for me was right. I have spoken about how faithful you were when you saved me. I haven't hidden your love and truth from the whole community. This is the word of the Lord. So happy new year to everybody here this morning. There was a, we're going to start off and sing I'm going to, I'll, I'll cue you guys, okay? Can I be the music director right Absolutely. now? All right, good. All right. We're going to sing a song this morning, a very brief part of a song that you know that's probably going to get, will be sung this year in 2018 10 million times around the world, and it has been recorded 7,000 different ways. Think about that. This song that we're about to sing the first verse of It'll be sung 10 million times this year, and it's been recorded 7,000 times, professionally recorded 7,000 times. You ready to sing it? Can you, can you, all right, hit it, guys. One, two, three, four. What do you, do you know it? Here we go. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. them a hand. Good job. So I tricked you, didn't I? Or actually they tricked you, right? When you first heard the music, you didn't know what it was. I could see the, they're like, what are we, what is, well, I don't know this song. 10 million people are singing this year, 7,000 recordings. What are you talking about? But when we got to the lyrics, you knew it, right? 
when we got to the message and the heart of the song, we knew it. See, we just sang a very old message in a brand new way. Do you get that? Isaac, uh, no, John Newton, sorry, not Isaac, he's a scientist. Uh, am I right? No. I, mean, I got all my, no. I'm right. All right. John Newton was a pastor. He wrote the song Amazing Grace in 1779 in conjunction with a New Year's sermon. He was starting off the New Year. He wrote that for the New Year for the church. Actually, he was also inspired to go into the ministry by someone that Methodists know named John Wesley. And so he was a contemporary songwriter along with Charles Wesley. And this song was actually sung to 20 different tunes from 1779 to 1835. It was not sung to the tune that we typically know it in our hymnals, which in 18, was New Britain, which was assigned to it in 1835, over 50 plus years later. It was sung multiple different ways, different expressions until then. And then something changed in the song in the, during the Civil War period. I don't know if you're aware of this, but that last stanza that we sing, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, actually got inspired by a book named, uh, called, entitled, Uncle Tom's Cabin, that was written by uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe, uh, that Abraham Lincoln said of her, so this is the woman that started the Civil War. It was an anti-slavery uh, um, book, and they added, and Tom, the character in the book, sang that stanza, which actually got it added into Amazing Grace. And so the song even changed in uh, about 18, you know, during the time of the Civil War. And we've been singing that verse since then. What I, what I mean is to say is that you can have a song that is rich and heartfelt and has a lot of great meaning and theology in it, and you can sing it all different ways. You can express it in so many different ways, not just one way. And I'm thinking about this as we think about singing a new song. I'm, I'm really thinking about Psalm 40, which says that we're, gonna sing a new, that we're called to sing a new song, that God has put a new song in our hearts and our mouths. And sometimes that's a new expression. It doesn't mean that God has changed. It doesn't mean the message of the gospel has changed. It just means that we can express it in a new way, that I can sing again. And, and really, if you look at Psalm 40, you'll find that Psalm 40 is a combination psalm. Uh, psalm 40, we actually only read part of the psalm, and that's the, the part of the psalm that is the thanksgiving part of the psalm. The second half of the psalm is a psalm of lament. Lament, which means to kind of be woe is me and, and lament and to, to offer up a complaint to God or to be in grief. And so that second half of the psalm is a lament. And I'm thinking about kind of where this last season of First Church and as I'm thinking forward, and I'm also looking back, and I feel like we've been singing a song, a lament, as a church. You know, there's been a lot of change in the church, not just in the past year or two, but actually, I would say, over the past 20 years. Um, and, I'll, and I'll show you a little bit of that. But, and there's actually, uh, well, I'll talk about that. I, I got so much I want to tell you this morning, sorry. Um, so buckle up. All right. But one of the things that has happened is that what, so what, some things that have changed over the past year, uh, we went from two services to one service, I've heard about that, new, new lead pastor, some, some guy came in here and started doing different things and climbing on ladders and stuff, and we don't know what's going on. Um, but, so there's been a lot of change, there's been transition uh, in our worship style, transition in, in leadership, 
and, and I feel like there's been kind of a lament going on. But also that lament has not just been about the changes, but also about the recognition that the church is not what it once was. You know, we kind of lament what it, it's not like it used to be, right? So the best I can estimate in about, you know, I go, went back through all the worship statistics of the church when I came here, and I looked back, and, and there's a blank of statistics for about 10 years, but back in 2000, the church was averaging worship about 600 people uh, in worship, and I've heard numbers higher than that. Uh, previous to that, and so it was worshiping that, and I looked at the last few years from 2010, and I, we do have statistics for that. You can see that over the past seven years, you can see that the trend is, is not in the positive, right? You can see that actually over the past one, two, three, four years, we've been in steady decline as a congregation, and, and we lament that, don't we? We lament that, that it's, it's not going the direction we hoped it would go. And so I would actually tell you that that is just one piece of a bigger long-term piece. So if you went all the way back to 2000 or pre-2000 to now, you'd see it. You know how the stock, how many people look at stock market, right? You know how the stock market goes up and down and up and down? But if you look at the long-term trend, it's either going this way or this way. I would say to you that the long-term trend over the past 20 years for First Church is going like this. Now, part of lamenting sometimes turn in, turns into blaming. Do you ever, have you ever noticed that when you're lamenting and com, complaining that you start blaming somebody? Now, I know you, you guys would never do that. <laughs> but when we start to lament, when things aren't going the way we hoped, we start to complain, and then we start to look for somebody to blame, someone to shame. And I would say to you, it's nobody's fault. 20 years, that's nobody's fault. That, that's, you can't pin that on one person. In fact, you can't even pin it on the congregation of the church. I think this is a great church to be at. I don't think you know that. I can see it. This is a great place to be. This is a great church. There are great people here. In fact, the greatest asset of this church is its people and its faith in Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. Don't underestimate that. But what I would say to you is that there's this temptation in our lamenting to want to blame somebody. I would tell you it has nothing to do with one person. And I would also add to that, one person can't save the church either. Just, just keep that in mind. All right, I'm just putting that out. <laughs> but what I would say to you is that what's happened, and this is happening all across America, this is happening in our nation, this is happening in the churches all over the world, not all over the world, globally the church is doing great, but here in America, the church is, is, is encountering the same thing everywhere we go, every city we go in, every suburban area. So it's not about you. <laughs> the demographics, the culture has changed. Less and less people are going to church, less and average, regular attendance for a person a day is once or twice a month. Now, I'm not saying to do that just because everybody else is doing it. But what I am saying is that it used to be you were a regular attender if you went every Sunday. That was regular attendance. Now, it's not that way. But I want to, just to illustrate how the culture has changed, let me, let me illustrate this for you. I have a little fun with you as well. How many people started out listening to music on one of these? Raise your hand if you started out listening to music on one of these. All right, good. That's a lot of hands. All right, how, how about this? Who started listening on this? Anybody remember that? It, was a, it had a really short season. Thank you. I saw the hand, Cindy. Thank you for confessing here this morning. Um, 
So 8-track, right? So how about one of these? This is where I started. Cassette tapes. Yeah, right. My people. All right. Thank you. And then we moved on and started putting these into our cars. How about that? Remember these? CDs, right? People CDs. And now everybody's listening to music on one of these or one of iPad or, or, or Pandora or whatever. You know, we got this. So anybody here now? I mean, everybody shifted over, right? Yeah, thank you. Got a witness in the back. My daughter, thank you. All right. You'll get, I'll give you $20 at lunch. All right. So... It's Amazing Grace, right? So what's that mean? Is that we hit, we, Amazing Grace has been recorded and listened to on each of those different delivery methods, right? What's changed? The delivery of it, right? The delivery of music, how we listen to music. The culture changes around us, but if we're still playing LPs when everybody else is listening to iPhones... That, 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 that's, a, that's, a, that's a big thing. So what I'm saying is that the church has to begin to think about how do we re-express the gospel message? How do we re-sing this song in a new way, in a way that people will hear it, in a way that people will listen to it, in a way that people will receive it? Because it's really about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. And, how, and it is our mission as a church and as people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, to get that message out there and to people who desperately need it. That is our role. So we have to think about, okay, what are the ways that we can do that? Now, I would say, even as I'm saying that we've been kind of maybe singing a lament, I, I love this part of the Psalm, for, the beginning of Psalm 40, verse 2, where it says, the psalmist says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. You can get this picture of somebody trying to just scramble up this muddy slope, you know, trying to get out of the pit, and then what happens is he set my feet on a rock. Oh, if you've ever tried to rock climb or go down a trail when it's slippery and you finally get that firm footing, right? It's like, oh, there's a rock, there's, there's foundation. I feel like now we've got some foundation as a church. I feel like now we've got our foot on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Not that we never did, but it was, it was easy to slip and fall. And God has given us a firm place to stand, right? I love that the psalmist says that. I think that's where we're moving to, this firm place. And then the psalmist goes on, and says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Why, why is this new song coming? Because I've got a firm place to stand now, right? And so we've got this firm place to stand, so this new song begins. But here's what happens when the new song comes. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. The new song the new expression of God's faithfulness and grace and God's message, the new song actually creates more people coming to know and trust God. Do you see how that works? So this new song becomes, this new expression becomes vitally important to the mission of the church. It becomes vitally important. And so this idea is that people will come to know the Lord is, is really what we're looking at. Like, so this year, I would say as we look into this year, 2018, I still see this as a year of transition. Tr transition. I still see this as a year of some change. So I want to be honest about that. I don't think God's done with change. <laughs> I don't think God's done with transition yet. We're putting together a discernment team to help us listen. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. That's right there in the Psalm 2. But what I'm saying is we've still got some tough decisions to make ahead as a church. And we still have some tough decisions to make. And, but I want you to know that whatever decisions we're making, I hope and I pray and the team will pray, is that those decisions are missional. 
decisions. There's decisions that are about the mission of Jesus Christ. And really, Jesus had a mission when he was here. You know that, right? He, only, he, he, he accomplished a lot in three years. Here's what Jesus did. He, did. he invited people to follow him. He grew them as disciples. And then what did he do? He sent them back into the world. He sent them to do ministry. One of the things I love about First Free Methodist Church is this has been a great sending congregation. I don't know if you recognize that, but do you know how many missionaries have come out of First Free Church? Do you know how many people have entered the ministry out of First Free Church? Do you know how many nonprofits have been started up out of First Free Church? I'm hearing stories left and right. I heard a new one yesterday about sister schools. As I was riding in a truck moving across the the city into our new house, I was hearing about sister schools uh, that someone in this church started up, right? A charitable organization. That's the heart of First Free. That we've been a sending congregation, which is awesome and wonderful and great. And even though we're sending people, part of our role in sending and part of Jesus sending the disciples out was also to invite other people to follow Christ and then part of following Christ was growing as disciples and doing that. And I think we as a church still have that mission. We still have a mission to invite people, to grow people in their faith and grow people to follow Jesus, and then to send them out even more. Maybe the reason that decline happens, though, is if you do more sending than inviting, what happens? If you're, if you're sending more than you're inviting... <laughs> You got, that, that could also be a reason, right? So let me give you this, this illustration too, is that every church, and I've been in lots of church, I've been in churches and worked with churches, consulted with churches, and one of the things that every, your church, so let's say we have 100 visitors this year, 100 guests come. And here's the thing. So out of those 100 people, we'll have 100 people come to the church this year. That, wouldn't that be great, right? New guests come to first church this year. Let, let's pray about that, right? I will tell you this, that 15 people from this group right here will probably leave this church on average. Not because of anybody's fault or because you didn't like the new pastor or any of those things, but because you get a job change or a health change, health issue, or your family relocate. You see what I'm saying? So there will be changes. People will naturally move. Nobody's fault. No, no, they're all for good reasons, but they'll go. Now, if no people are being invited in, and connected to the life of the church, what do you think that happened? What, what happens to the life of the church? So actually, we have to, out of those 100 people that will visit, if 15 people leave, how many people do we need to reach? Connect to Christ. Invite to follow Christ and help them grow in their faith in Christ so that they will be sent one day. How many people do we need to, we gotta do at least one more than 15, right? Maybe five more, maybe 10 more, maybe 20 more, Right? So that's part of that equation. You know, and I see, when I look at this city of Seattle, and I look at First Church, where it's positioned in the city, I see an expanding church. You know, I see a church that's going out into the city, into SPU, Magnolia, Queen Anne, Green Lake, Wedgwood. What am I missing? Ballard, yeah, we can't, we can't miss Ballard, right? <laughs> Woo! All right, people, we're coming to Ballard. All right, just keep that in mind, right? I guess the Ballard folks are up here. Any, who, name out where you live. Shoreline, right? Where else? 
Where? Kent. Kent. Yes, thank you, Joe. We're down in Kent, our Kent campus. Thanks for, for that. But that's a part of our spread, expansion in the city, to invite, grow, and send, right? That's part of our mission as a church is to expand throughout this city and to begin to do ministry throughout the city in these different neighborhoods. And I'm not naming them all. I, I apologize if I didn't name your neighborhood. I don't know them all yet. But that's what I see. I see a church that is expanding into the city and growing into the city and reaching people in the city that will invite, grow, and send them in this mission. Now, to do that, we got to go on in Psalm 40 and read verse 6. It says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. And really, in the psalm, in the psalm and in the Hebrew here, it's really saying that God unplugged the ear of the psalmist. Like, have you ever like not been able to hear? All right, wives, don't elbow your husbands right now. But anyway, but you know, have you ever not? Or, or you know, the people they're like they're just not listening to me, right? They're they're just not with me, right? When he the psalmist says, "My ear has been unplugged," what the psalmist is saying is that now it's like I am finely tuned to hearing the voice of God, the will of God, to hear God. That's discernment. That's what, what is called deep listening. Deep listening, uh, uh, when I was in Glacier National Park this last summer, it was the middle of the night, about 2 a.m. in the morning, pitch black, and I could hear something big in the woods starting to move towards our campsite. And I could hear this big animal crashing through the forest. And I shot straight up in my sleeping bag. And I'm thinking, grizzly bears, coming to get me. I am picking a blanket. And so I say out loud, because I knew the guide for our trip was in the tent next to us, I say out loud, something big's coming. And she said, yeah, it's big, but it's hooved. And that made me relax. <laughs> and I said, and then I realized, she said, it's a moose. Because she could listen, she was listening even more deeply than I was through her experience of being in the wilderness to hear the hooves hitting against the rocks in the forest to realize that's not a grizzly bear, that's a moose, which I found out in the morning is even more dangerous at night than a grizzly bear. <laughs> a moose has the brain the size of a walnut and is, ten, you know, five times bigger than I am, and if it, it's known to trample through camps and trample over campers and trample, and I could hear this thing like a freight train coming, and I could hear it get louder, 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 and then I could hear it get softer, 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 and disappear, right? Was I deep listening in that moment? I, nothing else. I didn't hear anything else in that moment. All I heard was what was happening with that moose, right? That's deep listening. That's, that's unplugged ear, <laughs> Right? The psalmist is saying that we need to be people whose ears are unplugged and deeply listening for the will of God, and we have to put in place a discernment team that will help us do that as a congregation, that will do some deep listening and discerning to the will of God for the life of our church. To say, God, what is it that you, we want to tune our ears to you and to no one else. To, call, to, calm all, to kind of push aside all the other sounds and all the other voices and all the other complaints and all the other laments and to say, God, what is it that you're calling us to be and do in the city of Seattle? Because God is calling us to sing a new song. That's what the psalmist says. There's a new song I want to be, I hope that we're all singing together in 2019. 
I hope that in 2019 we're singing a new song together, a new expression of God's faithfulness, covenant faithfulness, a mission that stays the same, a message that stays the same, that may be, have a new expression, just like we sang Amazing Grace this morning. Great message, a different expression of that message. And we all sang it together. Put that on the song list next year, Ed. So what do I need you, what do we need to do in the meantime? What I've been saying, I'll say it again, worship. Commit to worship this year. Commit to being in worship. Commit to regular attendance in worship that looks like every Sunday. Because <laughs> that's going to give us momentum. It's going to give us all momentum. And not only because it gives the church momentum, but because I believe that the discipline of worship will shape your heart and shape your mind and tune your own ears to listen to the voice of God yourself. If you don't show up and worship God, if you don't tune your ears to God, God's never going to speak to you. I mean, I guess God can. I've known some two-by-fours to swing my way. But you know what I'm saying. That discipline of worship actually helps us to tune our ears to God and what God is saying to us. Commit to following Jesus this year. Maybe you've put Jesus off to the margin in your life right now. Maybe Jesus is not leading you. Maybe you're saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I'm living my life. Will you come along with me when I need you? <laughs> that's not following Jesus. That's dragging Jesus with you into your life, right? What would it look like to put Jesus in the lead of your life? What would it look like to follow Jesus, to say, Jesus, I want to honor you with my life this year? And what does it look like to serve Jesus? I know that in the year ahead and as we transition, we are going to need servant leadership. We're going to need folks that will step up and serve God and serve Jesus and say, I will do whatever needs to be done so that we can accomplish our mission. That's what servant leaders do. And then listen to the Holy Spirit. Have you heard this before? Worship, follow, listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will speak to us and unplug your ears, not just the discernment team, but we all need to be unplugging our ears and listening, deep listening to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us individually and corporately. I, I'll tell you one thing, and this is the last thing I'm going to tell you, is that my heart's being broken for this city. My heart's being broken for the city. As I've come here and as I lived here, I am walking around the city. I'm driving around the city a lot. But I'm seeing a city that needs Jesus. That's what I'm seeing. And maybe it's because I come with fresh eyes and new eyes. Maybe you've already seen it. I, I've been walking around. In fact, first day of classes here at SPU was this past week. I, and, I, and I went to go get, I wanted to grab a bite to eat, so I was going to go over to Einstein's, and it was packed. I'm like, I'm not waiting in this line for Einstein's, right? But as I'm standing there waiting and trying to discern whether I'm going to stop in the, at the, that's over the student union building, I'm looking around me and I'm seeing Muslim students. And, I, and I'm seeing students with tattoos and piercings and colored hair. And I saw one young woman who had bright pink hair. And then she turned around, she had bright yellow hair. Then she turned around again, she had bright pink hair. And then she had bright, you know, so both, one side was one color one, and I'm like, and I, and I thought, that's, that's, that's really bold. For me, that's bold. She was having a great time, I think. And, that, and there's nothing to do with the color of her hair. But it, it just made me realize that I've, I'm seeing a Muslim student 
dressed as a Muslim next to another student who has bright pink, bright yellow hair, next to another student who's got piercings and tattoos and another color hair, and another one that looks, you know, differently than that. And then I walk down the street because I went down to the food truck, and as I walk over to the food truck, I see an Orthodox Jewish young man. And I'm thinking, this is, this is so Seattle, right? <laughs> the world is coming here. The world is coming to our doorstep, right? And I, I thought that was so cool. I think that is so cool that all these different people are coming into the city of Seattle and there are different people coming in and the city is in transition itself too. What are we going to do in this transition of the city? And what does it look like to bring the gospel to the city? And as I saw that Orthodox young man standing there, I was reminded of a conversation I had not too long ago with an Orthodox Jewish man. And we were talking about some things, and I was asking him about his faith. I was listening to to hear his story. And as he was sharing some of his, what he was doing, he was, you know, he had the fringes out. He had the the, the facial hair, the beard, and the the head covering. And he was, uh, he would, he pulled back his shirt to show me, you know, the, the stuff that he was wearing as an Orthodox Jew. And I was asking him questions about it, and he was freely telling me. And I was talking, we were having this great conversation, and I used the word, a very religious word I discovered, I used the word grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Grace is the unfailing love of God, the unconditional love of God, the mercy of God given to you and me. We're going to celebrate grace this morning at this table, that God loves us even when we're sinners. That's grace. So I use the word grace, and he stopped in mid-conversation, and he stopped me, and he says, what's that? He said, you, keep, you use that word grace. What, what is that? He was so curious. Wow. I realized in that moment I was using a word that he was a foreign concept to him. Something that you and I know so deeply and well is there's people out in the world that do not know it. So I went back to Hebrew class, and I dug up that Hebrew word hesed, the hesed of God. I said, do you know what that means in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures? Yeah, the steadfast love of God, the unfailing love of God, grace. It's there in the Hebrew scriptures. And he he said, wow, I've never heard of grace before. Wow. Do you, when you walk through this, when I walk through this city, I see people who may not know what grace is, who may not know what it is to be fully loved by the steadfast love, the unfailing love, and grace of God, even though they are sinners. Wouldn't it be great to let them know? Wouldn't it be great for the people of this city to be revived by the grace of God? That more people would be singing with us Amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found by the grace of God. Wow. That's the church I want to be a part of. That's the church I want to lead in this city. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.